Okay, so boom. You finally realize the power of emails and owning your own data. So you create a newsletter and get a landing page fired up. You send out your first email and bloop, it's in the promotions folder. Unless you're an e-commerce company, I'm sorry to tell you, but the promotion folder is not going to help you. This is why you should get ConvertKit. ConvertKit specializes in keeping your email in the primary folder so you can increase your open rates and communicate with your audience. They also have beautifully designed landing pages and squeeze pages for you to capture more emails. I personally love the fact that they have good support. Support for me is everything. If I have a problem, I need to know I can get someone on the line or have a video that answers all of my questions. Hustlers don't give up. They say, yo, let me figure this out. I figured out with ConvertKit. And let's start the show. I go there to meet with Jay. We have a conversation. We're eating dinner together at Tao. Uh, uh, um, P. Diddy walks up, starts talking to us. He's sitting down talking. We're all talking here. Then we get done eating. We go through the kitchen, you know, just like you see in movies or something. We go through the kitchen. We hit this kitchen elevator to go upstairs. Russell, what's his name? Russell, the comedian dude who was married. Russell Russell Peters? No, no, Brand, no, um, Brand, Russell Brand, Russell, Russell Brand, Brand yes, the comedian yes. who was married to um, Katy Perry. Katy Perry, Katy Perry, and Russell Brand are with us. Cedric the Entertainer and two other people. I can't remember who it was. And we're all going upstairs. We go upstairs. We get walked over by like ten security to this table, this big table. Jay-Z is literally standing on the couch, his knee, I can feel his knee coming, you know, as he's moving around, brushing up against my arm. I got dude right here. I mean, I have all the dude's albums, you know, and now he's standing right here. I got Cedric the Entertainer to my left. Um, uh, P. Diddy's standing on top of the couch behind me. And they're freestyling on the mic to like a beat that the DJ threw down. And they're both freestyling, you know, over mics. And, dude, I just, I mean, I don't even know what to say. Hello and welcome to the Hustle Over Everything podcast. Picture yourselves as your host. I'm Alex. And I'm Owen. This is the podcast where we receive stories, tips, and strategies from entrepreneurs who've done it to help you grow your business and take yourself to the next level as a person later today on the podcast we have dan caldwell on the show when it comes to mma ufc wrestling and working out there's a brand that's synonymous with all that and that's tap out dan and his co-founders built the brand up to be a multi-million dollar empire through this brand we're going to talk about it today but first owen what's good with you man how you doing blessed as usual you know the thing is the weather has started to cooperate you feel me so I've been yes, taking sir. like mad walks. I've been actually living life. I haven't been in, as a cocoon in the in in the condo. So I'm happy about that, bro. I know by next week, the weather's just gonna like take off, and it's actually gonna be summer vibes. But the thing is, two week extension by Douglas has been announced. So I gotta wait till June to to hit up the golf course, to hit up the driving range, to actually have some fun. But, uh, yeah, man, I'm just happy about the weather, man. Because the weather, bro, it changes, like, your whole energy. Whole energy. Douglas ruined my whole 
birthday, man. Like, my birthday's on the 1st, and the extension has gone to the 2nd. So I'm just annoyed that, you know, Bro. I have to stay inside on my birthday for the second year in a row. So Can't believe your birthday is, is, has snuck up like that on us. Yeah, it's, it's, it's finally here. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. It's just the other, the other, it felt like yesterday I was wishing you happy birthday. You know, it does it, man. It felt like it's been ages ago, to be honest with you. I have, it feels like I've lived so much life inside, you know, like last birthday I was at a whole other company, you know, I wasn't doing this full time. I've been, you know, uh, still inside though, still inside on this desk. Like, honestly, I can't wait to bust out of here, man. Bruh, oh, how, much, how much mileage do you think your chair has taken? Yo, my chair is screaming at me. Like, if on my chair I had a personality, would be like, fam, I'm done. So <laughs> I'm if, someone, done. if someone wanted to cop that chair, like, let's say on Kijiji, they ask you, yo, how much mileage is on this? How much would you attribute the cost of that chair if you were to sell it? Like five hundred thousand miles. You know what I'm saying? Like, in, in chair it's years, done. it's like that's like ten bucks. This is a this is a used chair, by the Jeez. way. <laughs> so you've taken it like overboard now. You're taking it over exactly. The that's what I'm saying. This chair is a grandfather. You know what I'm saying? But I seem to hear nor there, man. Um, have you been paying attention to this Joe Budden debacle? I have, I have. I, I you know, this there's a couple ways I feel about it. There's like a business side to it, and then there's also like a moral side to it. The business mm-hmm. side to it, like, I can definitely see what Joe is saying about, you know what, you guys are highly paid podcasters, right? I'm the owner of this business, the Joe Putt, Joe Budden Network. I'm bringing out the, the money, the advertisers, and everything. I'm setting everything up. But I think Joe's personality is very... It's, it's rough around the edges, especially, like, when you're trying to cooperate with him. It's like, he wants it his way, or there's no other way. It's like, Yo, these guys have been riding with you the whole time and you're treating them like that, like publicly. It's just not the best way to go on about any like disagreement you have. You can just handle that behind closed doors. And it sucks that, you know, they're like the the best podcast out here within the entertainment hip hop category. I don't think there's anyone else who comes close. I mean there's big ones, but Joe is he is like the the MVP of this of this space, right? So to see them go down like this, it's just it just sucks. Most definitely. I think, you know, well, firstly, they, I think it's a learning lesson for us. It's been a learning lesson for podcasters overall because you really get to see where ego can lead you. You can see how deal structure can, can lead you in a certain way because I just listened to the mall side of it, the Rory side of it, and it was very interesting to see you paid for um, it? the two perspectives. I pay for it. It's two bucks. You two know what bucks, I'm saying? I can yeah. give them a toonie. I can give them a toonie. You know, I, I don't I don't mind. It's like, it's like donating at like McDonald's. Them. Like that little chump change thing. Help the children. Feed the children. You know, just dash that toonie in there and just forget about it. Yeah, I got eight quarters, man. I got eight quarters. So I paid for it and I, I checked it out and I was really surprised because um, there was a lot of things that were left out that were very important, you know, and it was a learning lesson on, you know, how w- the truth is three sides. There's, you know, one side, the other side, and the actual truth. 
between between the uh, three people, so or however many people. So it was very interesting to see that. Also, like, man, there was like, let's keep it a, a buck. There was like a big skirt around this um, payment process that they had going on. You know, um, did you did you catch did you catch it or what was, did you get a chance to listen to it? Uh, I saw Rory and Mal like he posted it on his IG, but I haven't watched it yet. Mm-hmm. I'm like gonna. So pay one of the for main things, yeah. So one of the main things that were missing from Joe's speech, from everyone's interpretation, you know, was the fact that they were hired hired employees, right? The entire no- notion that was given was these guys are hired employees and they're asking to see the books. They're trying to audit the company, which is absurd, right? But these guys were on a profit split, you know, which changes things. Mm-hmm. You know, when someone's on a profit split, that means, hey, whatever com- money comes in, they're going to get a percentage of that profit, right? So with that being said, they were offering, um, not offering, they're asking to get the numbers to say, hey, this is the number, so this will be my split of that, right? And... Before and they weren't even asking to see it a lot. They were they were asking to see it on a semi, not even semi consistent, maybe once or twice a year, so you can get the gist of where the numbers are, what their split is, and everything moving forward. So I'm like, okay, that sounds like it makes sense when you're starting a podcast because you're starting with sweat equity and it's on someone else's platform. So you you want him to keep the IP, but uh them to have a split of it so they don't feel like employees, especially when they're putting their sweat equity from the beginning, mm-hmm. you know? And what I think was one of the main causes that no one's really talking about is the sweat equity that Joe's putting in and the sweat equity that they're putting in. Because they set a deal up where they're getting, let's call it, let's call it 20%. Let's call it 20%, right? In the beginning when they were making no money, 20% of nothing is still nothing. When they get the deal, 20%, of a lot becomes a lot. And then when they stop stop doing effort, stop giving effort, and Joe's putting in all this sweat, sweat equity in, being on different shows, being on Love and Hip Hop, being on, you know, um, State of the Culture, being on uh, Everyday Struggle, giving all of this energy, exertion, starting new podcasts, bringing new people in. Like Karen Silva has a million followers, right? So if she started tweeting about the Joe Budden podcast, then, you know, everyone's eating off of that um, network, right? Because the network is going to trickle down into the podcast. So they're not giving, you know, effort in, but they're receiving it. So they can receive, so they can, you know, interpret that as they're just taking, they're not really giving anything. So that can be resentment as well, right? So it was really interesting to see that point of it. Like they created a contract that was so beneficial to them that it could feel like everyone else is getting screwed over. And they asked to see the accounting, and they were given, like, you know, like, screenshots, snippets, and emails, like, quick quick spreadsheets. They weren't seeing the real deal. And I was like, okay, now we're seeing where the resentment comes, because um, they weren't actually seeing the real deal, holy feel, of the numbers. So they're feeling like, hey, what's going on here? We have a deal here, and it's not mm-hmm. being respected. So... Yeah, man, that that was kind of like interesting to see because no one really talks about profit split deals like that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's usually either equity or you're an employee, one of the two, right? And so, what are your thoughts? So, 
what are your thoughts on the way Joe handled things? Like, with publicly doing a podcast, firing Rory on the show, uh, just the whole breakdown of it. Uh, you know, at first I was really gonna, like, come in and bash and be like, yo, this guy is nuts, but I realized he was really hurt, you know? Mm-hmm. And I heard people hurt people, you know? He was really hurt um, by it, and he was just trying to express... Um, he was trying to hurt them, you know, because cause he felt hurt, and he, kn- he knew that they were leaving. So he was like, well, if, if you leave now, you're going to be siphoning off the audience I worked so hard for. So if I don't try to affect you and, and siphon those listeners back, I'm going to be losing a portion of my podcast as well. You know, so it was, it was like a twofold um, experience. And honestly, it was, a le- it was a lesson on what your hurt could do and being able to Receive it and not dish it out, or at least channel it somewhere else, so you don't do that kind of energy, or give that energy to to somebody else. You know, so it was more, it was really a learning lesson on my end to keep it, you know, um, respectful. Because at first I was I was I was embarrassed as a listener, like, damn, this is what you're gonna do your people, mm-hmm. but then after taking a seat and I'm like me not bash this man as a as a person and really realize that like he was hurt, so he was expressing that hurt, um, and. Yeah, he was just, he was mad, you know, so that was, mm-hmm. that was my interpretation of it now. How about you? Um, exactly the same way you're feeling, like, at the same time, I was just like, man, just looking at him and, like, the, the type of attention he gets, you must be feeling like, man, this can't be good for the brand. This cannot be good for Joe, like, because you got to protect your own reputation, too. So to go on and do that, I was kind of surprised that he would pull such a move by firing them uh publicly like that but i was like thinking I was like man understanding the mic by the way a bit closer yeah I was like, no. there you go. yeah i was like a little better. yeah go ahead, go ahead understanding like how joe was putting in matt effort just to bring in the deals like bringing the business build a network out and putting on his own financial like you know putting in his own equity and probably like more than what they were bringing in Again, I can't make assumptions by that, but just understanding Joe's repertoire, like uh, of being a rapper, his whole career, he's probably put a lot of financing into this thing, and then he also increased his equity up by bringing in business. And then Rory and Mal are talented individuals in their own rights, but I think once they were getting paid, you know, they're like, you know, they they're getting fat checks a week. Like word on road is like they're getting fifty k a week from the podcast. allegedly yes allegedly so wanting to like see the books wanting to see whatever like joe's like man what are you talking about like what do you want to see the books like you're getting paid you're here every day you have a contract i'm here building the business you're not out here on the on the pavement with me bringing in cash app bringing in whatever right bringing all these people where you can eat but now you want to see it right how about first you go actually and build the business up with me then we can actually talk like eye to eye like we're like okay you know you you deserve you have a right to to do this and i can kind of see what joe was saying it's none of your business right i can understand that but like it 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 stinks to say that it stinks to say to to your boy it's none of your business and you've been riding together and i think that was like joe's way of saying like yo i know we're cool i know we've been building this thing but 
I've been doing way more to like stuff your pockets, right? And putting in my own thing to like build this business up. So it's none of your business because like, why do you care? Right? Like when you have a contract, you don't have any equity, you're paid like a lot of money. So why do you care? Why do you care at all? So I can see his thing. I just think the way Joe goes in about things and like uh, voicing stuff, it's it kind of seems like man, that's that's not cool. Like to talk to your boy. If you not say don't, it's not your business. Be like, yo, mom. I know you want to see this, but this is how I feel about this, 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 and that. So like, I don't think like, you know, it's in your space to see this. Right? There's ways to go on about it, but to say it's none of your business when. He's part of the podcast. See, a podcast and a business are two different things. Like, you can, like, be a performer on the show, but, like, to be in the administrative stuff, that's a whole totally different thing. I completely agree. I completely agree. Um, but the thing is, is that the deal was... See, this, this is the, what, what was, I think, the missing caveat, or the caveat a lot of people are missing, was that the deal was structured to have a profit split deal. So, he can legit like stop going the podcast and not stop i don't know about stop but you know just show up and leave and get paid for everything right Mm -hmm. and that is where resentment builds up because you know he's doing a job as a host but there's so many other roles you know so joe's here trying to do so much and there's only the staff is still small still still a small team and he's doing the most to fulfill it, you know, to handle Spotify not being there anymore uh, and try to grow the company up and, and, and you know, handle seven-figure deals. So it, it can build a lot of resentment up. And I and I completely see where he's coming from, you know, and I see where Moss coming from as well. But at the same time, I think they should have had a conversation from time. You know, there, there were certain things that they probably weren't doing, like having meetings, mm-hmm. you know. They are probably just, like, showing up because it's twice a week, so doing a show twice a week and having meetings and all that kind of stuff probably started taking over or not taking mm-hmm. over but like slipping and so that could have been like a huge bottleneck for the business and their relationship you know not having meetings about how they're doing you know what are the next things on the on the dock they're trying to work towards and that's probably like where, where it is but one thing that was really important too though that I think is, is needs mentioning is that they got one side of the accounting before and there's a four hundred thousand dollar mistake in it. Jeez. This is what this is what Ma, this is what Marlon Roy said on their um, reaction or response. Response is the word. So I was like, "Damn, that's 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 something. That's huge." So if there's a four hundred thousand dollar mistake once, then you are in your in your in complete right to ask again to say, "Hey, there was a mistake last time. Do you mind saying it over again?" And then if the second time comes around and they're not asking and they're not getting any response, like, so they're telling me the last time there was a $400,000 mistake and now this time I can't see it? Mm-hmm. You know, that that's when I was like, hmm, something's off there, you know? And what would be your, your take if you were in a predicament where you're working for, not working for, working with a company, you know, let's say working for with Hootsuite on a profit share deal, right? And you ask to see their books and they say yes after a while. And you know it's a big mistake. Then lay down the line. You ask for it again and they say no. 
or beat around the bush, give you attitude. Mm-hmm. Say, why? Why are you trying to see the books for? Mm-hmm. What's the response? First, my radar will go off. I'll be like, something's definitely up here, right? Because if what you're saying, it's a partnership agreement, we're profit sharing, and I'm asking to see the numbers. And when I ask to see the numbers, you you have some your reservations about it. I feel like I'm getting finessed easily, right? They'll be like, okay, there's something here they don't want me to see that benefits them, but it, and it doesn't benefit me at all. So immediately you start not trusting the people you're working with because you're feeling like you're getting a raw end of the deal. And they've been doing it, and by exposing it all, it's just going to make the whole thing erupt. Like, all hell's going to break loose. So, I mean, from then on, once I figured that out, man, it's just like, what can I do from here? It's like, hey, get a legal representation, figure things out, open things up, and just take things according through that protocol. But immediately, bro, the one thing is, you already know the trust is gone. Like, there's no way you can come back from that and try and, like, work things over because if it happens at such a scale like that, let's say 400000 like, that's not something you can... Ju- that's a lot of money. It's not, like, 30 bucks where you can, like, look it over. Like, no, this is, like, close to half a million, right? So, immediately, you know, like, if we go back, I can easily get screwed over again. Like, what's that one thing? Fool me once, shame on you. That line, right? That's exactly what it is mm-hmm. here. Exactly, exactly. So, what was very evident was that there was no mention of this in the Joe Budden firing video. And that was very interesting. And I'm not trying to beat, beat this man while he's down. I'm just trying to, you know, speak the learning lesson because we're all entrepreneurs here. You know, all of us work with friends, all of us, all of us work with family. You know, so when success happens, there's some things that we need to take into account of how are we treating everybody, how is the business done. This is the first time we really get to see how cash and money can, you know, incentivize people against each other. Mm-hmm. This is the first time we actually get to see that in public and see how it plays out. Usually you hear about it in groups and then X, Y, Zs, but you don't really get to see it verbatim and see people actually open the open up and say, hey, this is why I'm doing this. This is why I'm going left. This is why I'm going right. This is why I'm angry, right? Mm-hmm. So it was very interesting to see and a, a big learning lesson on our end because I'm not here to bash Joe. I'm not here to bash um, Rory and Mom or anything like that. I'm just here to learn and, and see what we can apply to our audience and apply um, to ourselves. To, exactly. to You know, let, learn and... and you know, spread something that uplifts people. So, but yeah, man, you spent 20 minutes on this. Let's get to the pod, bro. <laughs> let's get to I, it. You know, let's Dan get Caldwell. to Enjoy, yes, guys. Man. Enjoy so this the is, episode. Yes, you know, um, I'm really excited about this. Make sure you, t- you listen to the Jay-Z um, story. I thought that was one of the big, best stories oh we had God. on the pod for a minute. You know, um, so. Words. So. Y'all enjoyed the pod. Let's get into it. Hey, what's up, guys? To support the show for free, here are some main options. If you're on Apple, make sure you rate and write a review of our podcast. This makes a huge difference and helps support the show. If you're on Spotify, follow us. If you're on Google Play, subscribe and auto-download so you'll be notified and have a fresh pod ready to go when we drop. 
lastly, make sure you share the podcast on Instagram or whichever social platform you use and tag us. On Twitter, we're at 247Hustlers. On Instagram, we're at 247Hustler. And on Facebook, we're Hustle Over Everything. And now, guys, got to pay attention to this point. We just dropped a new newsletter. It's called The Underrated. It's a weekly newsletter that breaks down untold stories that highlight game-changing business strategies that shape our sports, music, and culture. It drops once a week on Mondays, early in the morning, to prep you for the week. So subscribe to that, and we'll see you in the pod. So, when it comes to MMA, UFC, wrestling, and working out, there's a brand that's synonymous with all of that. All of so, it. I have a gentleman here today. He's hung out with Jay-Z and Diddy. <laughs> He's met Tupac. He's built a business to nine figures. And he's here on the Hustle Over Everything podcast. Dan Caldwell. Welcome to the show, man. How are you? Hey, what's up, guys? How did you guys know that? I, don't, I, I never tell anybody that. Listen, man, we, do I don't think it's down we do anywhere. our research, man. You know, we got to yeah. come correct. We can't come out light. Yeah, you guys must have really researched because I, I may have said that in an interview before, but I don't really, I, I know I've never written it down. I've never said it in a speech, I don't believe. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah, those are some great times. You just uh, Those are the times you look back and you go, oh my gosh, I can't believe it. This guy from San Bernardino hanging out with yeah. Diddy and Jay-Z. You've been on one hell of a journey, Dan. Like, just learning about your story and on the come up on the rise. Um, and, you know, we're super excited to chat more about it. Um, you know, just getting into it, right? Before, like, we know, before we get into the tap out story, right? We want to get to know you a little bit, uh, you know, from the times when you're a young guy and, you know, those days. Talk to us about your come up, right? Your, the days when you're a youth in San Bernardino. Um, how did that factor into you becoming the entrepreneur that you are today? Well, um, I grew up in San Bernardino, California, which, uh, when I graduated, was the murder capital of the United States. Um, the year I graduated and, uh, you know, but I never really, I had a, I had amazing parents. They're still married mm -hmm. today. And so I was brought up in a really tight church going family. Um, I, I, uh, and so outside was kind of like that was outside, but inside our house, we were, you know, very church loving going family and very tight. Uh, but outside the house, yeah, we had uh, we lived in a really pretty dangerous neighborhood. Me and my brother had been shootouts in front of our house with some guys trying to break into one of our cars. Mm -hmm. uh, we'd been in my mom had been mugged in front of our house. All of our cars had been broken into, houses broken into. Uh, but you know that was I never felt like we were in danger at all. It was kind of just like you know that was the neighborhood. That was just that's just your it. life. I didn't know there was anything different. Yeah. So. Um, so I never felt really in danger, you know, been in fights and different things, everything, you know, I'm sure most high school kids go through that same type of stuff. So it didn't feel any different as far as that goes, but I remember always wanting more. So I was always kind of digging into how I could start little businesses. I put myself through high school as a DJ. So I was a DJ in high school with my, with one of my good friends. 
and uh, we were making like you know 100 bucks an hour so we'd have a minimum of a three hour dance and you know do 300 dollars for the night and get to hang out you know it was, it was a good time it was, and we thought we'd created this really nice business and we were doing pretty well for ourselves we had dances pretty much booked every week but um, I think through the time when I started to realize that we, I had grown up in this kind of neighborhood and I wanted to help other people, um, I decided uh, I had taken this elective class that they had started at the high school. It was like one of the first times they had put on this class. It was a new class and it was called law enforcement. So mm -hmm. I, I got into I, I took this class just thinking, oh, I need another elective. And I took the class and I got kind of excited about it. So I decided to become a police officer. So I went, I thought I was gonna be an entrepreneur. And then all of a sudden I, I veered off left and became a police officer. So I was a, I was a cop for the next seven years. But uh, during that time, I met um, a, a good friend of mine as we were starting to think about going through the police department or going into the academy. And I met this good friend of mine um, at one of my jobs and I started talking to him like you should be a you should be a police officer. You're really you know you're big dude. Uh, you speak well. You're a smart guy. I think you know you're he's uh, he was good at martial arts and and uh, and so we started training together. That's kind of how we met. And so when we saw the very first Ultimate Fighting Championship, that's how we kind of got locked into this whole mixed martial arts thing. But uh, we, we became best friends. So we were training all the time and, and going to train at, at the Gracie Jiu-Jitsu, at Gracie Jiu-Jitsu. And then we started going through the police academy to get, well, we, we actually didn't go through the same academy, but um, he worked for a different department, but it was, we both were in San Bernardino County. So that's, that's uh, kind of how it started. That's crazy. Got you. Um, being a cop, and then being an entrepreneur, those are like two different, like separate things. Like what got you interested in wanting to be a cop to begin with? Like what specific thing when you're looking at those two electives and you're deciding, you're like, okay, I got the entrepreneurship part, but you could have decided any other thing to choose, but you chose law enforcement. What was it about it that made you decide, you know what, this would be cool to like dabble into? Well, I think, you know, in a lot of ways, there's a lot of parallels for this reason that as a police officer you kind of can make your own day you know you are working for somebody so it is a little bit different in that way but i mean even as an entrepreneur what you're really working for people right you still have things that you have to do and listen to and follow follow certain guidelines and as a police officer it's kind of like you know i get in that car and when i'm in my unit i'm out on patrol and i can kind of make up my day as i want to i do get calls and i have to go handle those calls but you know you don't you're not typically you're not typically called a call. Some days you get like that, but for the most part you get to kind of drive around and kind of make up your own day. Mm -hmm. And so that that was kind of interesting. And plus every police officer I think um, it's kind of what I notice is that every police officer seems to always try to figure out some little job side hustle that they're always figuring out as they work there because nobody's making enough money, you know. So we're all making like thirty five forty five thousand dollars a year. Well, that's not, you know, that barely pays the bills. So you're trying Damn. to figure out how to do little side hustles, you know, to, to, to keep some money in the pocketbook. And you want to drive mm -hmm. a nice car. If you notice any, every cop has got like a big lifted four by four truck or something, you know, so he, you can't afford no truck these days unless you got a side job. <laughs> so you're always trying to figure out some side business to, to, to run at the same time. And for us, it was just, I think the, 
it's kind of glamorized when you first get into law enforcement. And of course, I still like it. I still enjoy the excitement of it. Um, if I was, you know, if I was still in law enforcement, but um, of course, the climate isn't the best right now. You know, who it's it's pretty it's a dangerous thing to do right now. Mm-hmm. And um, but you know, I I think typically when your mindset is that you want to go out and help people. You, there's a lot of chances to go out there and do that when you're out there on patrol. You know, there's a lot of people that you're typically dealing with victims who are hurt, you know, or have been beat up or shot or whatever that is. So you're first on scene. You're the first person to talk to this person. It's just been shot or just been stabbed or just been beat up or whatever that is, or something's been stolen from them. So you're their first contact and how you contact them and you're, you know, how you lead that relationship or start that relationship is um you know it can be it can be pivotal for them and how they take on the rest of that you know trauma and uh and so for me that was kind of that that part about it i always like being able to help people and so that first contact being able to come to somebody and you know try to console them and tell them you're going to try to help them and figure things out and things are going to be okay i enjoy that part of it especially if you can come through and help them out and and actually you know maybe get their property returned to them or uh, get them to the hospital safe or whatever that might be. And you get a chance to save, I mean, not all the time, but you get a chance to save lives and it's pretty crazy. You know, it's not, there's not many jobs that you can actually say that I'm out there saving a life, you know, doing, uh, you know, getting a, doing compressions on somebody because they're, you know, they're dying or holding, you know, blood squirting out and you're trying to yeah. hold onto a wound or something, mm-hmm. you know, and trying to save them. You know, so there's there's not many jobs that you can say that you get to do that. You know, maybe fire, medical, you know, a doctor. Um, there's, you know, some other jobs out there. But, you know, for the most part, there's not too many jobs that you get to do that. So it's pretty exciting as far as that goes. But as you know, entrepreneurship is exciting too. So you're kind of just, as if you're, if you have entrepreneurship in your blood, you're kind of drawn to different excitement. Exactly. And whatever that might be. And so, you know, it's just... It, I, I think at some point I just got dragged from this side of the tracks over here to this side of the tracks mm-hmm. and, uh, and, you know, it became kind of our life force when we started doing it, we just got hooked. Speaking of, of blood, you know, do you think that, cause you had an argument on your podcast, shout out to, um, you know, pretty young punk. Uh, you had an argument that was not an argument discussion. It's a differentiation of ideas. Was it heated? Was it a heated discussion? It's pretty heavyweight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, you know, an entrepreneur is born or made. Mm-hmm. You know? Right. So, what do you think? And um, just for the audience, and I don't hear what Oni, Oni think as well. You can all talk about it. Let's go. You can air it well, out. Well, I still think that there's a little of both there. You know, I think we kind of hashed that out in a way. She thought that, that entrepreneurs were made. And I thought they or they were born, and I thought that they were made. And I just felt like that. Hey, if you there's something, if you don't feel like that, you can become an entrepreneur. Like if you can't, if if then you know, it's kind of like when we start doing that to people, like, oh, you can't be an entrepreneur because you weren't born an entrepreneur, and so I just wave you off. You know, oh no, you're you know what we we don't want to start dissecting humanity like that. Like you're not good enough to be a doctor. You just can't be a doctor. I'm sorry. Move along. Move along. You're not going to be able to be a doctor or you're not going to be an entrepreneur. You're not cut out for it. You weren't born to be. I mean, what if they could start testing certain things? They make you take some little test and then they tell you, hey, you're not good enough to be an entrepreneur. You're not good enough to be a doctor. You have to be a trash collector. 
You know, it's like I don't want anybody telling me I can what I can do and what I can't do. So I feel like when you take that away and you put and you start putting people in boxes, um, I feel like it does a disservice to us. And that yeah, are there going to be better entrepreneurs than other people? Of course, people are going to have certain you know higher. There's a lot of people. Everybody's smarter than I am. You know, so when I get out there, I'm like, uh, you know, you got people with high IQs out there who graduated from Harvard. Um, you know, I I probably I wouldn't last five minutes in Harvard. But, you know, I have other things, you know, there's other things that I'm good at. And, uh, you know, I'm a hustler. I'm, I'll make things happen. I'll outwork people. You know, those are the things I feel like I'm good at. And other people, you know, maybe they're not so good at that. Maybe they get tired and feel like that they need a break or, you know, I don't know. But they're smarts and their smarts get them through it. Mm-hmm. So I, I just got to say there's a, probably a little bolt. There are probably people that are born with certain diodes that are crossed a certain way in their brain. And allows them to be able to deal with problems better than others and maybe they're willing to take more risk than others and maybe that's just inside their in their brain but i still think there's other things that make you a little more um uh make you a hustler make you figure things out give you that eq that it takes to really be a a great entrepreneur yeah, that, that's a fact I, could, could you imagine like as soon as you get born did someone takes her hair out and is like Mm. Yeah, Tra- trash collector. Like- <laughs> trash that's, collector. That's entrepreneur yeah. DNA right there. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, um, yeah. Honestly, man. Yeah. So, all right. So now, go ahead. Go ahead. I see you. I was gonna say that, like, I feel like entrepreneurs are made right. When you look at an entrepreneur, there's certain like succinct qualities you need to have. You need to be able to like persevere. You need to be able to like not give a shit what people think about you. And you got to be able to, like, break the rules a lot of the, like, throughout your whole life, right? You can't really be put in a box. When you feel like you're being put in a box, you feel like, I cannot do this. I got to, like, leave. I'm not what society says. I should follow this school, go to university, do whatever. So I think there's certain qualities, as Dan said, where when you, like, sit back a bed at night and you look at yourself, okay, I'm not really about the school stuff. I'm not really about this man, maybe I can launch that business. Maybe I can do this. Maybe I can do that. I think you don't really have to be launching businesses, but refusing to have things the way they are, those are like the ways of what makes a great entrepreneur. And once you have that, you are already a born entrepreneur. You you don't have to be an entrepreneur, but that is entrepreneur DNA. Some people have to learn it, but I think entrepreneurship, entrepreneurs are, are born. Other people just have to learn how to build businesses. But if you look at building businesses, that's just like you own a business. Being an entrepreneur, that means I don't like the way things are. I'm going to go change that. I don't like the way that chair is. I'm going to go create a different chair because that bothers me. So that's like the part that makes you as a born entrepreneur, like the born qualities to be able to like, hey, I don't care. I'm going to go do this because I want to. And if it doesn't work, then so so be it. Well, I think there's something in your surroundings too. You know, I noticed a lot of people, I had a lot of people who grew up around the streets and, you know, I grew up, I, I grew up in an all black neighborhood. So I was like the only white kid around, you know, mm-hmm. and, 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 and a lot of my friends were all hustlers, you know, they had to, they, I, I, I was the kid that had, you know, I was like kind of the corny kid that got brought in early, but all my friends were staying out till 11 o'clock at night. You know, I had to come in at like eight, you know, before, before it started getting dark. And, um, you know, but all all my, all my friends, I feel like they figured out a way they're going to make it. You know, I know uh, a good guy, he actually played, um, played, he ended up playing professional football, but 
Um, I remember I always looked up to him. Uh, we called him Pedo, but he he would he. I always looked up to him. He carried a briefcase around in school, and he had his like all his mixtapes and all these tapes that you know he was he was kind of rapping and DJing, doing all kinds of stuff on the side. And I just always I always thought, man, this guy's gonna figure it out. Whatever he does, he's gonna be successful in it. You just see that in people, and sure enough, you know he was he was at the time he was the you know kind of the guy to look to for you know he was kind of the local rapper in it locally and uh and and he didn't kind of end up going that way he was recording with some really good people i'm trying to think who it was at the time but i remember one time i went with him to the studio and and it was a, it was a, uh it was it was an experience but i was at the studio with him you know and and of course, I'm the only white kid in there. And I'm a skateboarder <laughs> at the time, so like I'm a skateboarder, but we're friends. Yeah. And and so um, I'm in there, and you know, he was recording with some. So I felt like, man, shoot, did we just like this is professional? Like you know, at the time, there's I'm like I don't know who's here, but there's a lot of people, you know, and this is a big studio. This isn't some second-rate studio. So mm-hmm. I felt like he's gonna either make it in this, and then he ended up going to NFL and being like, you know, winning a Super Bowl ring. So, so, you know, it's like, uh, he, he, uh, his name is Chris Hayes. Um, I forgot who he played for, but he might've played for San Francisco. I can't remember, but, uh, he, he ended up winning a Super Bowl ring. So, you know, it's like, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, you know, I mean, anything he did, he was going to be great at it. And so I look at it like, but I think he learned that. I mean, he grew up in not, not the worst place. His parents were actually really good people. And so they kind of kept him straight too. But um, he was, uh, but you know, San Bernardino wasn't a good place, man. It wasn't. Mm-hmm. There were people getting shot all over the place. I remember waking up in the middle of the night, uh, my dad dragging me out of my bed, laying on top of me because there was a drive-by shooting, and it felt like it was hitting our house, but it was actually uh, like five houses away, and it was an AK-47 being fired, so it was so loud that it mm-hmm. sounded like somebody was hitting the side of our house with a hammer. I mean, it literally, like as hard as they could, and they fired off like thirty something shots. So, it all just bam, 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 bam. Wow. I mean, it felt like it went forever, long enough for my dad to be able to clear two bedrooms and get into my bedroom, drag me out of my bed, and and lay on top of me. So, you know, it's um, it, it was uh, but you know, it just wasn't the best place. But we figured it out. You saw a lot of guys there who just like, hey, I don't care what happens. I'm not going to let it stop me. And I feel like it was their environment that kind of made it that happen. Man, that's crazy. So now, at what point do you start tap out? Um, you, you were doing, you know, um, was it more tired to jitsu? Um, we were kind of doing, we were training taekwondo at the time taekwondo, and a little bit of boxing. Mm-hmm. But not like professionally. It was just me and my friend. He was like a really good kickboxer type taekwondo guy and i had come a little bit from boxing i had had like you know a year of boxing so just enough to get me in trouble and um so i was i was showing him some boxing and what i knew and he was showing me some kicks and and what he knew and then we saw the very first ultimate fighting championship and this guy hoist gracie came in and you know mopped up three dudes that night he's 170 pounds wet and he just beat up all these big dudes. And I'm like, oh my gosh, we got to learn how to do this because we're about to get into law enforcement. I'm not the biggest dude, you know? So like, I'm going to be dealing with a lot of big dudes. And it was a way to be able to kind of control people and not really have to hurt them. You know, like most arts come from punching, you know, like punching or kicking. 
and you're really having to and, and law enforcement you can't do that very much or you're going to get in trouble right we've seen yeah. that so you have to be able to control people and there would seem like no better martial art than jujitsu because in jujitsu i mean this guy Boy, Gracie, he literally maybe threw a handful of punches the whole night. He fought three dudes and maybe threw five punches the whole time. Most of his stuff was all joint manipulation and, and wrestling type moves and, and, and chokes. So I'm like, that's exactly what we need for law enforcement because you can't be just punching everybody. So you got to be, be able to control people to get them into handcuffs. And so we just like the next week, we were like drove down to Torrance, California. We heard they were in Torrance. We drove down to Torrance, California and started training with Hoist Gracie. Damn. That's crazy. Well, well, I'll just right. I'll continue how we got started because that was mm -hmm. kind of the question. We just saw how many shirts they were selling at the Gracie's and we were like, man, we got to learn how to do that. I mean, we got to do something like this. Like these guys, mm -hmm. every there were people coming from all over the world to go into the Gracie Academy in Torrance. And they would come in and just come in to buy T-shirts because they like knew the Gracie Academy was there. They knew Hoist Gracie was there, and he just fought in this UFC. And so you'd have people coming over from Japan and England and wherever they wherever they showed the UFC um, in South America, all over the place from from all over the United States. And people would come in there every single day. I mean, not a ton, a ton of people, but you know, just like every single day, there'd probably be five or six people come in while we were there. So we're mm -hmm. there for training class for a couple hours and like there's three or four people standing in line waiting to buy t-shirts. Mm -hmm. So we were like, man, what if we create, I just remember the drive home one day, um, we were talking about it. Like, what if we create a shirt that was kind of, you know, like this. And then he came to my work, um, uh, a few days later, a week later. And he said, Hey, what do you think about that idea? Really? Like starting a t-shirt company. I, I want to do it. And so I was like, okay, let's do it. I'm in, let's do it. And, and and this friend of yours, um, mm -hmm. is Charles, right? Um, yeah. Um, he, were you guys working on any other ideas before? Like, it, it seemed like okay, just to decide on a t-shirt company is like one thing, but the build-up process towards, hey, the t-shirt idea is gonna be what we are gonna do. What were those other I project ideas that you guys bounced off of as uh, before you got to the t-shirt idea? We we didn't have any ideas. That was it. It was like we were just studying jujitsu kind of consumed us. So that's kind of what we talked about all the time. It was mm -hmm. like jujitsu, like, oh, man, I learned this new move. We, we, we were getting mats and putting them in his garage, and I had mats at my house. And we would, like, go through moves. We'd be at – I mean, I would be – I'd be at work, and I'd be thinking through moves. You know, like I'd see somebody. I'd be like, oh, I double leg him. And then when I got him down, he'd probably fall this – I'd be thinking through the whole fight, you know, with my head. Mm -hmm. And so it kind of just consumed us. We were always thinking about jujitsu when our conversations usually turned to jujitsu. Um, and so that was just kind of our girls in jujitsu, man. That was kind of what we were talking about. And, and so just the, the, when the t-shirt thing came up, it was kind of like, oh, we still get to talk about jujitsu and martial art, mixed martial arts. Or at that time, it was called No Holds Barred. It was called NHB for No mm -hmm. Holds Barred. It was before they had the term MMA. It was called No Holds Barred because it was more a little more crazy. There were no you know time limits. There were no weight divisions. So it was, it was, they had another name for it. Um, in 2001, when the Fertitas bought it, they kind of changed the name to Mixed Martial Arts, and that's kind of what it became. But at that time, we were like, oh, we still get to talk about no holds barred and jujitsu and and we just have a t-shirt company based around that whole sport 
So so what was that? Uh, so now you guys are cops, and then now you're going to go build this t-shirt company. What was that moment that was like, okay, the cop thing is, it's a, it's no longer in our, in our future plans. What was that moment like for both of you? Well, he was going through a use of force thing. Um, he was, he was dealing with some, some, some guy came in and I, I don't remember too much about it. I just remember some guy came in and spit on him and he kind of like handled the dude, you know, like sent mm-hmm. him, sent him into a wall or something. And, uh, and that he was kind of dealing with the use of force thing with that. And I remember the captain called him in and was like admonishing him or something or the sergeant or lieutenant. I maybe the lieutenant. And he kind of just he said he pulled his badge off and threw it on the table. And said, hey, you can keep your badge. And he was out of there. And we were like starting our company or we were like probably about a year into our company at the time. And so he called me one day. He was like, Dan, I quit today. <laughs> I was like, what? No, you no, you didn't. You know, this is our careers. Like I, I never thought. I always kind of thought in my head that for a while there anyways, at least when he called me that time, I thought we're going to run the clothing company and be police officers at the same time. It kind of like was our identity. You know what I mean? Like we were police officers, but all of our cop friends were buying shirts from us. And it's kind of like prominent, you know, that people were starting to learn jujitsu. We were teaching jujitsu to our departments. We were Mm -hmm. defensive tactics instructors for our departments at that point. And so we were teaching jujitsu. So I just thought our identity is we're going to be police officers and we're going to own this like small clothing company and sell to our friends and at different events and stuff. And then he calls me that day and says, I, I quit today. I said, no, you didn't stop lying. No, I, I did, bro. I threw up my, I threw my badge on the table and said, I'm out of here. I was like, Oh my gosh. He goes, I was like, I guess you should, do I need to quit too? He's like, you can't quit. You got to pay for this thing. You got to pay. <laughs> we need the seed money. Yeah. You got to support the, the company. So I, I was like, Oh my gosh. So I stayed on for like another three years before mm-hmm. I ended up quitting too. How was the business doing when you quit? It was paying the bills a little bit. It was getting close, you know, like kind of paying the bills. I think it was paying us at that point. We were paying each other about a thousand bucks each. Um, a month and then yeah about a thousand bucks a month and then like paying our bills so like i think i can't remember if it was like maybe two like his rent was like 500 and mine was like 800 or something like that we were i I had a condo but i was living in a cheaper area i was still over in san Bernardino area he'd moved to huntington beach and he was renting a room from somebody over there for like 500 bucks and and dan uh, what year is this by the way this is like 2002, I think, when I when I quit, mm-hmm. right around there. So, so it started you got, you 97. Start 97, yeah. Um, we didn't start really selling shirts till 98, and then we didn't go on books until 1999. And how were you guys selling your t-shirts? Like, what was like your, because e-commerce was still evolving around that time. So what was like your mode of actually distribution? Well, we were an e-commerce company. I'd like to say we were one of the first clothing e-commerce companies out there because this is 1998. You know, we're selling online. Um, at that time, you did a transaction that was kind of weird. Um, you, they, you had a shopping cart on your site, but when they did an order, when a transaction went through, all the credit card information came through an email. So it was kind of weird how like once they hit send, <clears throat> it generated an email with all that information, kind of like a PDF or something. 
and it would send that to you in an email. So when you got on, you looked at your emails for the day, and that's where all your orders sat. And you would click on them, to be, and you would print them off, print off the piece of paper, and then you would type all that information into a credit card machine. So you had to wow. manually process all your, all your orders. So you didn't have like a, uh, you know, it wasn't like generated or anything. You'd have to get all, type in the credit card info, type in their, all their stuff. And make sure the credit card went through. When it went through, you'd write like, you know, like pass or good or whatever on there. And then that would be the order that you'd fulfill. So we were getting like, you know, one or two orders a day or something like that at the time. Three orders a day. I don't remember. Somewhere around there. So th this is what life was like as an entrepreneur in e-commerce before Shopify. Oh, yeah. The, I'd the... walk around. Well, <laughs> we, we wanted to also, you got to remember at this time, people didn't trust the internet. Is a time when yeah. people were scared to put their credit cards in the in the computer, so we had to offer this 800 number. It was kind of smart. I mean, I kind of figured out we figured this out on the way. This is what I'm talking about. Like entrepreneurs just figure things out, right? So what we did is we set up our phone system. So we had an 800 number. It was like one 800 tap out four. That's what it was. <laughs> I just remembered that <laughs> just now. It was 800 tap out four, and when people called that phone call would come to my house well i would forward that if i wasn't at the house i would forward that phone call to my cell phone and mm -hmm. so when that call came through even if i was at work i had order forms in my back pocket and i would like i would be like i'd look at the call and be like oh tap out clothing and they would go oh, i'd like to order a shirt i'd say okay can you please hold i put them on mute I'd pull out an order form out of my back pocket. Mind you, I'm a police officer at the time, so I got, I'm taking calls and all kinds of stuff. I'm sitting in my unit, maybe, and we had we always carried these like big clipboards so that we could, you know, I'd put it on the clipboard. I'd say, okay, go ahead with the order. I'd have to turn down my radio, so hopefully there wasn't like an emergency call or something. I'd turn down my radio. I'd say, oh, what can I get for you? They'd tell me the whole order. I'd write it down. What's your credit card info? Oh, Visa, okay, great. I'd write all that info down. I'd say, okay, I got your order. We'll get that out for you tomorrow. Thank you. Have a nice day. Bam, I'd click the phone, fold that order back up, stick it in my other pocket so my fulfilled orders would be on this side, my, my <laughs> blank ones would be on the, this side. Wow. And, uh, and I would write that down. And then if I couldn't take the call, I had set up an answering service. Now, the answering service was super expensive. So it was like a dollar a minute or something like that. And so I would, if like I knew I, I was going to be on a, on something busy, like a big, you know, I was getting a, a crazy call or something. I had this like short number that I could dial real quick and forward the, the phone, my cell phone. So it'd be forwarded from my house phone to my cell phone. And then I'd forward it to the answering service. And then the answering service would take the call and they would take orders. But I hated to do that because it was so dang expensive. So I'm trying not to do that most of the time, but but at least we had that available to us. And it's funny because I still have companies today that I run kind of that same way that like mm -hmm. um, not not as far as answering the phone itself, but we'll forward the phone to an answering service if we're not able to you know take calls for answering people camp. That's hilarious! Damn, <laughs> no, that's a real like in the in the mix. That's grind right there. Level you gotta figure it out, crazy. right? That's a fact. All right. So what was the breaking point for for the company? Um, you mean like when it started to break even, started to make money? 
Exactly. Um, you know, we what we didn't realize is is for that those early years we were starting to make money, but because we were growing so fast, people don't really think about this. But when you have a physical product business, as you're growing, you're having to put all your. If you plan on being three hundred percent, we were growing by three hundred percent every year. So if you plan to be three hundred percent larger as a company the following year, you have to put if you're if you're making X amount of profit. Not only do you have to restock what you sold, but the balance of your profits have to go back into inventory because you're going to be that much bigger in a minute. So you have to not only buy replenishing inventory, but you've got to buy additional inventory because you're about to grow. You're growing right now. So we thought we were poor. I was driving a $1,000 van around um, that we had bought at an auction. I painted it black, put big old tap out logos on it. And, uh, and we had a suburban that we did the same thing to. Um, but all of our money was tied up in stock. So I, I remember a few years in, probably in 2005, we're doing three or 4 million bucks, but we didn't have two pennies to rub together. Mm-hmm. We were like, uh, we were, um, we were basically just paying each other's rent. I think we were paying each other about 2,500 bucks a month, something like that. That's about all we could afford because every penny was going back into inventory. We were growing our inventory too. So not only were we growing, we were growing our SKUs. You know, we were like, oh, we want to be a real company. So now let's start ordering belts and we want to have, you know, sweatshirts and hats. And, and you know, I mean, we always had hats and things like that, but we wanted to really expand uh, into keychains and just everything that a t-shirt company might have. I also read that, uh, you know, when you're getting into uh, MMA, UFC, um, you traded in $3,000, 3,000 shirts or inventory to have the tap out logo in the ring, right? This is like when, yeah. like, you, yeah, talk, talk about that story. I found that really interesting when I was looking into it. Yeah, the UFC, we, we were still, like I said, we were, it was hard to really put money together, Um we were just as fast as we made money we were paying it out to fighters and paying it out to marketing and paid out to travel um so we were traveling all over the place sponsoring different events and um one of the things that we it was hard to be able to pay the ufc for a sponsorship but we um we figured out that if we we made this deal where if we gave them clothing they would sell the clothing at the event and recoup their money and so uh, we started doing that with them. And then at this one big super event called the Ultimate Fighter, I don't know if you remember the Ultimate Fighter television show, yeah, yeah, yeah. but the very yeah, first one, um, they were they had a finale for it. And when the finale came on, we didn't know that they were doing all kinds of like marketing for us on the show, on the television show itself. Like, hey, this you know how like they do for Budweiser, this has been brought to you by Budweiser, you know, and, that's what they were doing, but they were doing that with tap out. They were like mm-hmm. using us because they didn't have sponsors at the time. So they, they needed people. They wanted to make it look big. Like imagine you, you know, as a podcaster, you want to make your podcast look bigger. So you, you announce a couple sponsors that really aren't your sponsors, but you're just like, you know, doing it to make your, I mean, if you said, Oh yeah, sponsored by, by Ford trucks, you know, everybody go dang this this podcast is, <laughs> this is legit dude, they, yeah, got, yeah. they got major sponsors right. on board Big little sponsors <laughs> they got but that's kind of what we they were doing with us because the ufc was still kind of still figuring things out and they didn't have anybody to believe you know espn wasn't on board yet fox wasn't on board yet none of these people were on board so 
they said, oh, let's use Tap Out as one of our sponsors. So they said, this, is, this show's been brought to you by Tap Out for mixed martial arts clothing, you know, uh, bad for the sport. Well, I can't remember this. I forgot the term. We had a, but a few different um, coin phrases that we used for our, our marketing. And mm. and then, you know, say at tapout.com. And so every imagine when this fight was going on, they had had the biggest audience they'd ever had in history. At one point, 10 million people were watching this fight. And so, million. yeah. And so all of a sudden, wow. my website guy calls me and he goes, what the hell is, I mean, he used a lot of other words, but imagine what <laughs> the hell's going on right now? He goes, bro, you got to tell me if you guys are doing any marketing. Like your whole site is out of control right now. It's, it's collapsed already. I've had to shut off the credit card processing because we can't even capture credit cards. It's going too fast. You're doing like 3,000 mm -hmm. orders an hour right now. I said, hold, hold on, man. hold on. What do you mean? He goes, you're doing 3,000 orders an hour. I said, oh my gosh. I, you know, I tell my partner, he's like, he couldn't even comprehend it. He was like, oh, let's talk about it in a few because I can't even think about that right now. So we, we basically had to shut off the credit card um, where it would actually process the credit card and let them know that their credit card either worked or didn't. Mm -hmm. And we shut off at that same time, it shut off inventory, or maybe we didn't even have inventory at the time. So all these people were making thousands of orders for product that we didn't have in stock, and um, and we didn't have, we weren't able to fulfill, and we didn't even know if their credit cards were gonna go through. So mm -hmm. we just, all we could do is capture the credit card, and then we, again, we had to go old school and manual manually input every single one of them thousands so and thousands, thousands and thousands orders, and thousands of orders you must I, wish you had a fiverr guy to help you out with that like manual tedious processing oh my gosh dude i was hiring everybody i knew everybody we got home i literally i i call on the way home from vegas i called the guy that we were renting our building from and I knew the building next door had just opened up and I said I want that building whatever it is I want that building next door to us and I ended up cutting a hole in the wall between us you know it was like this um, business park and yeah. I cut a hole so we could just walk straight through into the one next door I literally did that in like three days and uh, and and created this one unit so we had we had 1,900 square feet, and we took the 2,700 square feet next to us. And so overnight, we were there. And then like within a month, we took the uh, – what was that next one? I think the next one was like ten or 12,000 square feet. So we took the 1,900, the – oh, no, there was one in between there too. So 1,900, then we took the 2,700, and then we took – the, I think that one was about the next one over was about uh, two thousand, and then we took this the twelve thousand next to that one. So we just kept building out, taking the whole complex up. That's insane. That's insane growth. That's crazy, man. Wow, three thousand wow, orders an hour. Yeah, it's like uh, you know, it, we were growing pretty gradually, almost to the point where you could almost just say, "Hey, we're growing three hundred percent a year." I mean, I know right yeah. off the back that we did thirty thousand our first year, twenty nine something, a hundred thousand our second year, uh, three hundred thousand our third year, yeah. and almost just under a million our fourth year. So you know, you could almost just kind of say, "Hey, we're going three hundred percent a year on the dot," mm -hmm. and then that big show so, happened. So, 
So now let's talk about this. Like, what were you doing to grow? Was it the marketing that you were doing? Were you always in gyms? Like, walk us through that marketing strategy that we were using to grow on a consistent basis. We were just trying to be everywhere. Anywhere that our, we knew our customer would be, we knew we needed to be there. So there were guys throwing jujitsu tournaments all over the country. And I would fly out with two Rubbermaid bins filled with clothes, and I'd throw two banners on top. And I would go to the show and I would set up a table. They'd have a table set up for me. I'd pay like 500 bucks to sell there. And sometimes we made money, sometimes we didn't. You know, sometimes we'd come out of that show with 3,000 bucks and sometimes we'd come out of that show breaking even. But we knew the important part is that we were there. You know, they allowed us when we paid that 500 bucks, not only did we pay to sell our clothes there, but we had banners up all over the place. So Mm -hmm. it was almost like, you know, most people would just pay that 500 bucks to just mark it. But to mm-hmm. us, we got to, we called it throwing hand grenades, you know, because yeah. it was like <laughs> we're throwing hand grenades all over the country right now. I'd go sell in Phoenix and then I would come home and that next weekend I'd be in Indiana selling there. And then I'd come home and then I'd fly to uh, Hawaii for three days to go sell out there at Super Brawl. And then I would fly back and go straight to, to New York for a show that was coming up out there on a Thursday. And I'd sell there. And then I would come back and sell one in California. And then we'd go to Vegas for uh, Grappler's Quest and fly back. You know, I mean, it was just nonstop. We just, mm-hmm. you know, we found places that little places. It's hard because that's what kept it kept us going, you know, to be able to sell at those little places like that. Imagine it just kept income coming in. It kept us marketing mm-hmm. It was like small little wins that you could kind of like pat yourself on the back for because every time you do a show, you knew you got 100 plus t-shirts out there at that show. Plus you had banners hanging. Plus they would do like a little, um, uh, there was like a, a news sites, little bulletin boards and news sites that were on the internet that were covering these events. So they would have pictures of the event and you would just be like, we'd thumb through all the pictures on the weekend and go, oh my gosh, look at, there's a tap out. Oh, look at, there's a banner right there. And you flip to the next one. Oh yeah, we had like three guys who were fighting for us in, the, in that event. And you could say, oh, look at, you see a shorts real good. Oh, look, he's coming out. He's got the big tap out logo on the front. You know, it was like, that was the little wins that you get. You could pat yourself on the back for and go, look, we dropped all kinds of hand grenades today. Mm-hmm. So, so when, when, you look, when you look back, Dan, right, what are some things that you think made tap out the tap out brand resonate with a lot of people for it to pick up a lot of steam like that. Cause when you compare it now, like with Facebook, you can really get into people's heads with marketing and everything, but you came out with a t-shirt and just gradually people start falling in love with it. So what are those things that resonated with people about the brand? Uh Oh, you got a little one up. Sorry guys. It's okay. Let's take a quick break and you will get back to the show. This is a good time to quench your thirst, you know? (laughs) Yeah, we're going to get get some more. Mm. Oh, there's your fan on, bro. Are you hearing it? I felt like, because when you muted your mic, I felt like the fan was, like, it just went silent. So, like, and then when you unmute, it came back on. Yeah, my fan came back on. Hear Hold me on one second. All right, no problem, Dan. <clears throat> it's kids, man. You know, I know. I got little ones. Family life. 
Yep. I feel you, man. All right. So what was the question? What I forgot what the question was. Uh, I was I was saying, um, you know, when you look back at it, the tap out brand, what really made it resonate with people the way it did to make it that successful at the time? I think what we realized early on is that, and I, I feel really lucky that we realized this because it takes a long time for some people to figure this out. But um, we realized that people, that t-shirts are just a t-shirt. And the reason why people wear your t-shirts is because the way it makes them feel the, or anything, why they use any products. It's because it's the way it makes them feel. If, if they buy, I mean, for a few reasons, like if I were to buy some organic, you know, uh, hair gel or something, part of that is, yeah, it makes me, you know, it's like I'm using organic hair gel. But a lot of it is, you know, too, I want to I want to feel like as a person that I'm doing, you know, I'm doing my body well. I'm using organic this and organic that. I eat organic. Mm -hmm. It's like how do I feel as a person overall when I do that? Um, you know, when I wear a certain shirt, when you wear the shirts that promote your own clothing or your own brand and your own company, it makes you feel a certain way, like makes you feel like, hey, I'm working. You know, it's like this is what I stand for. When people see you and ask you, "What? Well, hey, what's that shirt about? You get to explain it, you know, and it makes you feel a certain way when you put that shirt on. And that's kind of how Tap Out was. We knew that because we'd put this shirt on so many big fighters in the UFC, I mean, you got to remember early on because we were training in the sport and the sport was really small. If you look at those early UFCs, we had guys fighting, wearing our clothing because they were guys that we trained with or guys that we knew, a guy who knew somebody who was training with that guy. So we could get to those guys. So they were all wearing tap out shirts. And so when people were into the sport, they would want to wear a shirt because they wanted to be like those guys. Those guys got to fight in the UFC. They were tough dudes, big guys. When they put that shirt on, it felt like those guys. Like a suit, like they felt like Superman for a minute. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? And so yeah. people want it's it's a feeling. I mean, you got to remember this T-shirt. This is a plain T-shirt, right? There's nothing on this shirt. This shirt cost, you know, cost me. I got a pack of them for five, you know, fifteen bucks or something. Three of them for fifteen bucks. They're five bucks each. Why will I buy the? You know, why why don't people just buy this shirt? Why are they going to pay twenty five bucks for a shirt rather than five bucks? The only reason why is because it's the way that shirt makes them feel. And so once we learned that, all of our marketing kind of went based around like, okay, people want to be these people. And um, and then we kind of learned that they kind of wanted to be us in some ways, you know, by because we were out traveling all over and we started to kind of cover that early on, you know, kind of like social media does now. But back then, there wasn't really social media. So we were doing it in magazine articles and through small videos that people were making small little like short documentaries um and then we ended up getting our own tv show so we had our own tv show for a few a few years um mm -hmm. and so you know all that stuff kind of covered us as being who we were and we were out there being kind of crazy people thought we were all crazy but we really weren't it was like we were just like it was it was it was to make it look like we were like they people didn't know we were cops we never told anybody that we were police officers so they thought we were like these crazy dudes who partied all crazy and hung out till four in the morning we weren't like that 
since we since the fights were over, we went to dinner and we talked about all the great times we had, and then maybe went to a movie together. We did. Everybody wow. else was at the after party, partying, drinking, getting tables, and you know, bottles and girls and whatever. And we were at the we were at the newest movie at the AMC theater, watching the newest movie it just came out, the new Batman movie or something. Yeah, man, because you guys look like rock stars, you know? People will be thinking out partying and everything. Yeah, we just weren't like that. We are, you know, we were, we were, we want people to underestimate us. We want people to think, oh, these guys don't know what they're doing. They don't know how to create a business. They're just, they, you know, they just fell into this or something. They're about to collapse. I mean, the truth is, you know, I mean, not that police officers are the smartest dudes all the time, and the, but they, they're good at figuring out problems and figuring out how to fix problems and get around them because they have to. You know, they don't have a choice. So um, so we were good at that. You know, we came into a situation. We'd analyze it, figure out what we were do. We'd talk about it. Like, here, this is what we have to do. You do this, you do that, and I'll do this. And we go out and do it and execute. Dope. And one thing I want to touch on as well, because I think it was very important in regards to your story, is the makeup that you guys used to wear, the bandana that you used to rock all the time. Yeah. Talk to us about that, because that was intentional, right? Yeah, it was early on Charles had came to us and I remember we had this show at the small Indian reservation in California and Charles said um, he came out and he goes man he, he was like literally upset because we had passed out all these like discount flyers and they had like a um, I think he had a picture of um, some fighters on one side or something I can't remember but they were all over the ground and he was like this is never gonna happen again because we're going to make ourselves into like superheroes where people are going to get us and they're going to want to hold on to this card like it's a like it's a baseball card and uh, and they're not going to want to get rid of it. They're going to have to look at it for like four days and just stare at it and try to analyze it and figure it out. And so I wasn't sure what he quite what he meant by that at first, but then we started having some phone discussions and talking about it. And so he goes, you're going to be a person, figure out who you want to be as a character. He goes, I, I like when you used to, because I'd wear this bandana sometimes just for, it was kind of a thing. It was going around at the time, kind of a look, you know, like biker look kind of maybe. And he goes, remember when you wore that bandana? He goes, dude, that gave me chills. Like when you were cops, like if I saw some dude like that, like I my, my hair would stand up on my arms, you know? So he was like, he was like that's a good look. Like it, I, I think it'll intimidate people. And so it, it's a good look for you. You should think about that kind of being your look. So everywhere you go, you just have that bandana on. And so that became my look. And then Scrape, who was like six foot seven, he'd put this big old wig on and it'd make him look like he's seven foot tall because he's already six foot seven. Now he's added another, you know, five inches on top of him. And so that be kind of and we realized that because one day we were in a in a um we were hanging out at a um at a, a place called Sharky's, I think it was called. And it was like a pool hall kind of. And all these girls were talking to him and all these people were like, who is this? Because he just put it on just for fun. It was like Halloween or something. He just put it on for fun. And and I thought that he was like, he's getting all this attention. Me and Charles are over here by ourselves. No girls talking to us. Nobody talking to us. You know, everybody's talking to him. He's getting all this attention. We're like, dude, that's got to be you. You're like this crazy, flamboyant-looking crazy dude who gets all the attention. And then Charles said, you know, he's ex-Marine. He kind of wanted to be this kind of Marine-looking, kind of methodical dude who's like 
Burgess from uh, kind of like the crow, a little bit of the crow, a little bit of kiss, kind of all mixed together. He kind of grew up around. His dad was a football coach. You know, um, he's African-American. And so his dad was a football coach. His, his mom was the first um, female principal in California. It happens, man. First female principal. Oh, my goodness. First female principal in Cal- black female principal in California. So there was like, you know, he he, he kind of came from this kind of high, highly educated people, and and he uh, he would hide his kiss albums because he didn't want his parents to see his kiss albums because he liked to kiss growing up, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but he, I mean, he liked he liked all kinds of music, but he just remember he always liked kiss because how how crazy they looked. And, yeah, and. He listened a lot. He listened to a lot of, you know, he was like, he was big into like Bootsy and a lot of, you know, African American music at the time. So he, mm-hmm. he he always thought it was so weird that he was listening to Kiss. He goes, dude, if I told my friends I was listening to Kiss, they'd like laugh me out of the room. But he goes, I just lo- I loved him. And he had that um, Dress to Kill album, and he always he always mm-hmm. liked that. He always like remember that album, had that album, and. Um, and so that he was like, so it's going to be partly kiss, partly military and kind of a mix of all that together. And uh, so we just kind of mixed it up and we said, hey, you know, we're going to be these characters because and we taken this a, a little bit from FUBU too. like if you listen to Damon John's um, kind of how he started his company, they became all the characters on their own hang tag. Because they they didn't want to pay models, you know they 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 had LL Cool J, but they didn't want to have to pay all these models to be on their hang tag. They were kind of like the whole thing is for us by us. That's yeah. what it stood for. So um, I remember taking one of those tags because I read an article about FUBU, and I remember stealing one of the tags at a store one time and like putting it in my pocket because I just wanted to have this kind of inspiration because they were doing pretty well at the time. And so I had this picture of all of them, you know, and I'd read that article that this was the actual owners. So I was like, this is the owners of FUBU. So I'd like walk around with this tag in my back pocket for like months. I hung, I, I probably had it for like almost a year till it just disintegrated in my pocket and it wasn't good anymore. But, um, you know, so we just wanted to have this kind of look where people knew who we were when we come through. He goes, everybody's going to know exactly who we are when we come through the door and they're going to be interviewing us. We manifested everything. Like we're gonna have a TV show. We're gonna have our own video game. We're gonna have, you know, we're gonna have our own whatever. And all of it came true. You know, we end up mm-hmm. having all kinds of stuff like that. Our own TV show. We were in a UFC video game. We were, mm-hmm. um, we had our own tops cards. Unfortunately, Charles didn't get to see that. It was after he passed away. But pretty crazy yeah, stuff. Man. My condolences to Charles, man. Um, you and Charles, yeah. Damn, <laughs> you wanna Should we take a take a break? Should we take, take a, a break take or? a quick no, no. sec? Or keep it pushing. They're, they're okay. They're just they're, they're two little ones. Not not. She just woke up. She's not having a good day. Oh, okay, I, got it. Let's keep it pushing. Uh, yeah, let's keep it pushing, man. Um, so I know, like you know, one of the things you know, building a business is it's a grind, right? And you had um, I read that you had this no plan B, um, saying between you and Charles, like you know, you guys believing. Hey, no plan B, no plan B. Talk about those days when things were tough because you guys had a meteoric rise, but those moments when things were tough, what were some of those like low moments you both had when you guys were building the brand? 
Yeah, we had, I mean, lots of them were, it was constant. You know, you're always dealing with problems in the company, always trying to figure out how you're going to pay bills. Um, I would, uh, part of, part of what we were is we had, we had, uh, give it to mama, give it to mama. <laughs> we had, uh, uh, let's, do, let's, do, let's take a quick break. Oh boy. All right, guys, we're back. Oh, no, ask the question again. So, Dan, I know um, you guys had a meteoric rise to success from like the late 90s to early 2000s. But, you know, with any business, there's a lot of low moments. So what were those low moments between like you and Charles that, you know, where you were so close to quitting, but you had each other to tell each other, you know, well, let's keep going. Let's keep fighting because we're closer to success than we were yesterday. Oh, yeah. You know, I. You know, there were always moments and there were always, there was always something, you know, there's always a fire. You guys know, you guys are entrepreneurs. There's always fires. There's always something that you're dealing with. Um, but we had early on, we got these, we got tattooed up because up to our neck. We, and a lot of that came from us just telling ourselves there was no plan B that we were, there was no way we're going back to law enforcement because that would have been an easy escape. We could have went right back to the department, got hired on and uh and just said hey it was a good try but as soon as we got these tattoos we knew there was no going back and that's the only thing we ever wanted to do so we weren't going to do anything else so this was it so we either had to make this work or i don't know what we were going to do so we just kept pushing forward i mean a lot of the wins helped us you know when you have these little wins constantly you guys know this when you know you get a great podcast and you're like oh my gosh we just got this guy that makes you want to go, you know, that carries you for another few Makes weeks. you want to go then, harder, yeah. Yeah, and then you get this meeting, and you're like, oh, yeah, we got this meeting with this big company. This is great. You know, you get excited for another few more weeks, and that carries you for a few weeks. You just have these things that keep getting you past those moments. So, I mean, there were a thousand moments, a thousand times when people, I can't count how many times they tried to shut off our merchant account. We didn't have the money to pay off these clothes. I was just talking about yesterday. I can remember and knowing I didn't have the money to pick up those clothes. I knew I needed those clothes, but I'm formulating in my head what I'm gonna say to this guy so he'll let me take the clothes and pay him later. And I got tears coming down my face and I'm, you know, just, I'm a mess, you know? I'm trying to figure out, like, I can't, I can't believe I'm in this situation. I don't have money to pay my rent. I don't have money to um, buy these clothes. Uh, you know, I got things, other clothes that still need to be made, not just these clothes. I have other clothes that need to be made that I can't afford to pay for. It's always something like that. You're constantly going to come up against things like that, you know, in, in as an entrepreneur. But you just got to you just keep pushing forward and figuring things out. Sometimes you got to stand back and go from 30,000 feet. Go, it's just really, you know, it's like sometimes I get like that and I get too tied up in the business. And I think, oh, my gosh, we're out of this shirt. This is one of our big sellers. And then I just stand back and, and if you look at it from a different perspective, you'd have, oh man, everybody must be looking at this on a website right now going, they're sold out of this shirt again. I knew I should have bought it. Next time it comes up, I'm going to buy it as soon as it comes up. You know, mm-hmm. a customer's looking at it totally different than we are. I'm feeling sick to my stomach because we're out of our best-selling shirt. And the customer's going, oh man, they're out of that shirt. I knew I should have bought it when I saw it. Now I'm going to have to buy it as soon as I see it next time. 
and then they go buy some other shirt. Now they're buying this other shirt because they were coming on to buy a shirt anyway. And then next time they jump on, they buy that shirt they were going to buy in the first place. So, you know, it's a, it's like sometimes those problems are a lot smaller than we think they are. And we build mm-hmm. them out to be too big, bigger than they should be. That's a fact. That's a fact. Put it, making a, a, a mountain out of a molehill, right? Yeah. Oh, we do that, you know, because we feel like we need to – we. We want the best for our company. We want our company to do well. We want we want everything to be perfect, but that's one thing you got to learn as an entrepreneur that everything's not going to be perfect. And usually it's going to be pretty far from perfect. But as mm-hmm. long as you keep moving forward and you keep doing things, you can figure out, you know, what am I going to say or how can I change the website or how can I make that a positive thing? Maybe I'll, you know, I can't you know, it's like somebody might look at something and go, hey, I can only afford to buy 50 of these. Another person might look at it and say, you know what? I'm going to make this a limited edition, 50 only available. Now get them while they last because they're about to be gone. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, which entrepreneur do you want to be? The one sweating bullets over that he can only afford 50? Or the guy who says uh, they're limited edition, one of 50. Pick, you better hurry and get yours while they last. You know, it's like you just got to figure out how you look at the problem. Yeah, got to have some finesse to it. All right, man. So uh, one thing I want to get to is what was the point where you sold the company or sold your stake in the company? Yeah, I sold uh, not not all of it, but most of it. Um, I when when Charles, you know, unfortunately, he was killed by a drunk driver in 2009. And I just didn't have stomach for it really i didn't feel like doing it at the time you know because we we talked every day talking about how we were going to build this company and the things that we were going to do and implement this and oh my gosh we're going to have this i mean he died the day we had got our very first non mma cover we were on the cover of dub magazine we were doing our photo shoot for dub and um wow you know we had our ferraris and lambos out and we're all taking all these photos he's got his porsche and his mercedes and bentley and you know and i'm shooting with all my cars and scrape shooting with his cars and you know we're doing this shoot and it's the first shoot we're like you know we're like inwardly we're talking we're just coming back from a show that we were selling at in ohio and we just landed and we came straight here to do our photo shoot and I remember him coming over to me right after the shoot. It, like it took all day with, you know, this big crew out there shooting us and they did some video and stuff. And um, if you see, if you, if you catch some video of him in his office, it's like an all white, almost like Superman's layer is kind of what he wanted to look like. You'll see him getting an interview in there. And that was from yeah. Dub Magazine. That was the day he died there. But uh, after the, we did the photo shoot, he came up to my house. I lived kind of close to the office at the time. And he came to my house and he, he like, I was like surprised that he was there because he never stopped over at my house. I mean, when I first got the place, he came over to my house because it was nice and overlooked the whole valley and had a pool and it was, it was a nice place. And so he would come over there to, you know, kind of check it out. But after a while, you know, he just never came over the house anymore. We just talked on the phone. He, he lived in Huntington Beach, was like an hour away. So he'd head straight home. But this day, he just came over to my house, and I was surprised. I opened the door, and he's there, and uh, he goes, Dan, and we come out here for a second, and we'd start talking. He was like, oh, my gosh, man. You know, he just wanted to reminisce about, look, man, we're driving Ferraris and Lambos and Bentleys, and 
we're on the cover of this magazine. We're about to be on the cover of this magazine. It's our first cover that we, you know, wasn't an MMA magazine. And it was just kind of a, a moment. You know, we were just having this moment about how crazy we have our own TV show right now. We just finished our second season. We were about to start our third. Um, we were also about to be in this big movie called Warrior. It was a Lionsgate movie that we were working with Lionsgate and working with the directors to do that movie. So we're like, we're about to be in this movie and just imagine everything that could go good in your company that could possibly go well for you happening. You have your own TV show. You're driving crazy cars that you never thought possible. You're drive. you've got money. You know, you're getting, you got hundreds of thousands of dollars in your bank. We just got a million dollars in our bank. We just like, uh, uh, maybe, um, six months earlier, like imagine just waking up one day and there's a wire inside your bank of this million dollar, this million dollar wire to your bank. So I got, we got a million bucks in our bank, you know, probably, probably by then we have like almost two, two million. We got, we're driving crazy cars. We're, we're, you know, doing all kinds of cool stuff. We have our own TV show. Just, we're about to be in this movie and just, he just wanted to like talk and just like hug, you know, and talk and be like, man, can you believe this? You know, like we started with nothing. Yeah. Started from the bottom, you know, now we're here. Check this out, man. This exactly. is crazy. You just want to pinch each other. And, you know, just like when only you two, like imagine right now, like imagine you guys, you know, this business starts to, you know, become something for you guys. Next thing you guys are making you know, you got five million in the bank, and you're talking about, and you're like, remember those times that we were interviewing that dude from Tap Out, and like, look at, we started from the bottom, now we're here, and like, look at, you know, how far we've come. Only you two would get that struggle. You know, mm -hmm. there's nobody else who you can talk with that talk to about that struggle. There's nobody who understands what you guys went through you know the hardships the how you started the conversations that you guys had we'd have we'd sit in carl's jr and i literally remember sitting oh, i mean so many times i can't even count i we'd go in there for lunch to talk about how we were going to you know build the business and what we we're going to do and this new idea and this thing and the new shirt and we'd bring our different things that we had going on like i'd bring um, cause I was kind of running the business business and, uh, he was like doing designs for t-shirts and stuff. So he would come with all his new designs and I would come with like all the things that we were going to change on the website and different new products that we were going to implement. And we would just sit there for hours and we'd have lunch at Carl's jr. Dinner at Carl's jr. And then they'd have to throw us out cause it was 11 o'clock and everybody had to get out of the place. I mean, we did that so many times I can't even count. And it was like a midway point between Huntington Beach and San Bernardino, and it was a way place for us to meet. But, you know, there was just nobody else I was going to have those conversations with. And it just, when he passed away, I was like, man, I just didn't feel the same about the business anymore. It, it didn't have that same juice for me, that same energy mm -hmm. that I wanted to have, you know, that excitement about talking about, oh, what's the next thing we're going to do? So I was just like, ah, man, if I could get where I didn't have to like do the day to day, take money off the table, continue to work for the, you know, be a part of the company. I still owned a piece of the company and I still stayed on for uh, another five years. Um, you know, that would be a better scenario for me. And that's what, so mm -hmm. that's what I did. Awesome. Man. So, so oh, that's um, tough. 
Yeah, man. It's tough, bro. Like, when you lose, like, your your, your right-hand man, like, you guys have been in battle together at the trenches. It must be battle. tough, Dan. I... Battle. Yeah. So, like, when man, you... Is, yeah. When you look back, man, like, you know, your upbringing in San Bernardino, rough, rough, rough neighborhoods, like, from going, like, from nothing, you know, like, leaving school, like, having school not being a part of your thing because, you know, you're not in academics to building something from the ground up, you know, multi-million dollar business. Did you ever see yourself at that position, like, where you were at, like, at the height of height of tap out, like, looking back to where you started from? Um, you know, I just always believed it was possible. I, I would drive up and down this PCH right here. We live across the street from the beach, so this is all water right here. And um, I would drive up and down PCH here, and I would I would look at all the houses up on the hill, and I'd be like, those are all regular, normal, regular people that probably started a business or did something, you know, had sold an idea or came up with a patent or something. And those guys are every single one of them. I mean, you'd see thousands of houses, you know, as you drive up and down PCH and you're seeing all these houses overlooking the water. And you're like, and I know every one of those houses costs over five million bucks. So what are they all doing, you know, that makes that all possible? They all came up with an idea just like us. And I started to look at our business and, you know, we saw the potential early on for what the company could be because the sport was growing. We were at the right place at the right time. There were a lot of factors that were working for us at that time. Mm-hmm. And so we did. I mean, we didn't see exactly what it would be like. And nor did we kind of like, I mean, it was like we dreamed about it. We had our dream board and things that we wanted to do. But overall, we were kind of like, we just were having fun doing what we were doing. It was exciting. Every moment was fun. The little wins that you have, getting the video game, getting our TV show, being flying all over the world, you know, eventually being in all these countries, selling our clothes in China and Sweden and Germany and UK and uh, Brazil and, you know, Mexico, everywhere. We were in all these places. I mean, the feeling that you get from that, you know, just knowing that this thing is getting so much bigger that you created this. Now that you walk down the street and you see people in a shirt or you or you you're in New York and you see this window and it's got you standing there like us standing in the window, you know, like we're like, that's us. We're standing, we're in this window like Michael Jordan. There's Michael Jordan and there's us. You know, it's like, I can't, how do you, I don't even know how to describe. You how can't even fathom that. Yeah. You just can't. Yeah. And so for us, a lot of it was that, you know, that's what really feels good. And then ultimately I just wanted to be able to create something, you know, create a family at some point. And, you know, we have, uh, it's, it's exciting to be able to have, to be able to have a family and kind of, mm-hmm. you know, get to that point. I, I didn't know where everything was going, but. You know, you're always thinking someday I'm going to be able to provide for my kids and be able to give them what I want to give them and, and uh, you know, but still keep them hungry. I, I, I love watching our kids grow up and they're so, it's so incredible to actually kind of stand back and be a little bit more intentional when you're trying to raise your children. Like I felt like when I was growing up, my parents were incredible. Don't get me wrong. I love my parents. And they were incredible, but they didn't know kind of what we know, like us, you guys, me as entrepreneurs, how we can be more intentional and actually learn and, you know, read books and, and, and kind of, you know, program our brains in certain ways and 
come up with ideas and spitball ideas and you know we didn't have that when we were little nobody told us that it was like we went out and rode a bike and you know every once in a while i'd throw a magic show for my friends down the street you know or something but we didn't really have it it wasn't really thought through now we can actually stand back and prepare our kids you know my kids at three years old he was reciting quotes and doing affirmations and um you know talking about being an entrepreneur and shipping out packages and all kinds of stuff you know he gets excited excited about that stuff and it's just it's really neat to see that we can be a little more intentional when it comes to that stuff mm-hmm. no that's yeah. absolutely beautiful man that's the dream and one, so i was good that we were on this topic because i want to talk to you about that you know because um we're both you know past 25 at that stage where like we're about to start approaching you know um thinking about having kids and being an entrepreneur right yeah um especially me i've been with my girl for over five years now you know so what advice would you give me to be a parentpreneur and an entrepreneur at the same damn time well i'll tell you this one um you know me and my wife had this podcast called pretty and punk podcast where we interview entrepreneurs with kids and that's what we talk about on on the show is you know is it possible to be an entrepreneur, a successful entrepreneur, and have kids? I will tell you that you have to say this, that there's one or two things that have to kind of give, that you're going to have less time. It just is that way. So you have to know if you have kids that you have to like either work different or you have to give up some time. You know, like there's other the things that you guys will have that I didn't have when I was starting my business is there's systems in place now. You know, there's things that you can do. I can have I used to have to go everywhere to market myself. Now I can turn on a Facebook ad and walk away. So imagine that I could be marketing probably almost in a better way, you know, reaching more people, obviously, and do it with a click of a button. So we can be so much more um, uh, uh, um, respectful of our time when because we have tools that we can put in place so that we don't have to be everywhere all the time. I mean, uh, I can. I mean, even even if I want to be smart, you know, if there were events now, I, I I would probably hire somebody to go do those events if I could, and and be more conscious of my time rather than fly out here for three days and be doing that event, I could ship that stuff out there. Now, you know, know what I know now, I would ship that stuff out there, use one of their guys to set up a table, sell our stuff, collect the money and give it back to us and send our clothes back. I might not make quite as much money, but I also don't have the days to be out there for three days, you know, setting up an event. So um, there's just different things that you can do and you have to be willing to do that stuff because if you're not, then I would say don't have kids right now. You know, I would say be conscious about when you have kids. Um, I would say there's nothing wrong with having kids in your 30s if you want to have kids in your 30s. You know, I would say make sure the girl that you're with, and I'm not saying anything about you guys or anything, but just make sure the girl that you're with is the girl you want to be with. You know, make sure that girl is the ride or die chick and there's no, there's no hesitation there because um, and don't, and you got to distinguish, you know, every, every guy's kind of like, can be a little hesitant about getting married because you know, that's all, it's a different life. Everybody's, mm-hmm. you know, a little bit fights off change a little bit, 
But once you realize yeah. that this is the right girl, then you got to go in and just live it. You know, it's got to be a part of who you are. And, and man, you can't be out running around. You got to get all that stuff out of your system. You know, make sure that you're, you're you know, this is for life. Uh, I had somebody tell me one time, you know, the, the most powerful person in prison, or do you know who the most powerful person in prison is? It's always the lifers. The lifers. The lifers. The guys. Yeah, because those guys go in there and they're, they know they're here for life. They're not going nowhere. They have, they, they have a sense of control. They've put up the pictures on their wall. They've laid down in bed. They're not trying to figure out how to get out of there. They know they're here for life. And, you know, even the, they have more power than the guards. When they, they're the shot callers, you know, they, they run the place. When you, when you figure out that you're a lifer and you've settled in, you said, Hey, I'm not, I don't got one foot out the door. I'm not trying to leave this relationship. I'm here mm-hmm. for good. I'm not going nowhere. I'm not talking about, I'm leaving you. You know, that those words don't come out of your mouth. Once you got that relationship, you're in a relationship, you're either in or you're out. Don't be half in half out, you know, be in and give yourself that power because when you're in, you got that power. You settled in. You own it, and now you can do whatever you want. You do it together. You know, me and my wife. If we ever have an argument or something, we're like, "Hey, we settle it by like, hey, let's hug it out." Even if she fights me off or I fight her off a little bit, like, "I don't want to hug you right now." <laughs> like, but you know, we'll hug it out and we'll say, "Hey, we're on the same team here. We're doing the same thing. We're together. We're on the same team." You know, everybody else is the. It's you guys against the world. So. You know, you got to be prepared. You, you, for you that. can't tap out, Dan. Pretty no. much what you're saying in no, the relationship, no, you no. can't you tap settle out. Settle in. You settle <laughs> in. You figure out how to. You know, I make my kids a part of the show. So, like, um, a lot of times, I'd have them sitting on my lap right now if they weren't dressed. You know, <laughs> if they were dressed, mm-hmm. they just don't have no clothes on. They're running around in their underwear. So, you know, but most of the time, um, we like we introduce Daniel to what we're doing. We tell him, you know, hey, we're about to get interviewed by these guys, and this is what they do. And look at their website. Here's what's going on. You know, we're, I, this is what we're probably going to talk about. And we kind of introduce them to what's going on in our life so they know what's going on with us so that they understand that as future entrepreneurs, you know, what they need to do and how things will work. And and we just try to explain everything to them. We don't give them that, hey, you know, not right now type thing, you know, because – Mm-hmm. let's see he doesn't have no clothes where's your clothes where's your bow tie and your your button-up shirt you got your under superhero underwear on go over there you can't be in the shop because you're not dressed so what do you I'm want to say gonna, yeah i'm gonna be a great entrepreneur one day but actually i already am you are hey yes, you are Yo, that's that was a bar. That was a bar. Wow. Mm-hmm. Listen, Dan. we're gonna clip can you can we clip that? That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, insane. I might have to be at the top of the pod. Yeah, he's on all know. our podcasts. If you listen to our podcast, you'll hear him. He's, he's I noticed he's always I noticed, on yeah. our podcast. We always put him on there because we want him to kind of understand, you know, what it takes, what you have to go through. Mm-hmm. That it's hard work. Sometimes he doesn't want to do it. I'm like I'm Daniel. Really sp- can I see a book somewhere? You're gonna write a book. I know you are. Um, awesome. Yeah. So, you know, you gotta, you gotta kind of let them know what it's like to go through that. And it's hard work sometimes. And sometimes you gotta do things when you don't want to do them. You know, he'll be watching a show. I'm like, Hey, pause your show. It's time to do your mm-hmm. part. You know, you gotta come do your podcast. It's your podcast too. I tell him it's your podcast too. You gotta come do your part. So, uh, he'll mm-hmm. come over and record his part real quick. And well, we might have to do 10 takes or 20 takes or whatever to get it right. But 
you know, it's like that's part of the show. And he learns that it takes 20 takes sometimes. I'm like, no, you need more energy. Like, you can't say it like that. You got to get excite people. You got to get people excited. You're the opening the show, you know, because now we started putting him at the beginning of the show to open up yeah. the show with a quote or something. And so, uh, um, you know, I'm telling him, hey, you got to excite people up. You can't, be, you know, you can't like just show up and do a, uh, you know, if you really want to do things, you know, it's like, if you think you can, or you think you can't, you're right. No, if you think you can, or you think you can't, you're right. You know, he'll, I got to have him put energy into it. So, uh, he, That's he, he's learning that stuff as you go. Oh, thank you. Beautiful. Got to start them while they're young, you know? Yeah. That's awesome. See, I'll be doing a big mistake, you know, if I didn't get to this, let's talk about. Did Jay Z offer to buy Tap Out? Well, um, I, well, I, I can't, I'm not sure where you, which story you guys heard where you guys were, but um, so he had a company that uh, he was with who uh, who bought his Rockaware or or somehow partnered on his Rockaware. I don't know exactly what their deal was, but um, they're a pretty big company in the space, and so they were kind of a part of they would buy companies and they would start producing goods for them. They would use their distribution model and take that company like your hustle. They'd take that company and be like, Oh, we, you know, you're perfect for our, our brand. We're going to put you right next to us, wherever we sit, you're going to be sitting right next to us. We're going to build that brand, turn you, you know, you were a $20 million company. We're going to turn you into a hundred million dollar company just by putting us at all the places that we sell at. And uh, so he he just wanted to have that discussion. So we were kind of having that 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 talk, and he was like, uh, "Let's have you know." I, I was talking to his um, his manager or somebody, his business partner, and he says, uh, Jay, "Jay's out there in, in Vegas. He wants to meet with you, dude." I had the craziest night, bro. Like I I I can't. Like, remember I told you, like, the only person, like, this is the times when I wish Charles was around at that time, you know, or my wife. Now I have my wife. But, you know, it's like mm -hmm. you wish somebody was around that you cared about that you could actually tell this to because nobody would, nobody in the world is going to believe you. I, I go there to meet with Jay. We have a conversation. We're eating dinner together at Tao. Uh, uh, um, P. Diddy walks up, starts talking to us. He's sitting down talking. We're all talking here. Then we get done eating. We go through the kitchen, you know, just like you hear, see in movies or something. We go through the kitchen. We hit this kitchen elevator to go upstairs. Russell, what's his name? Russell, the comedian dude who Russell's, was married. Russell, Russell Peters? No. No, Brand, no, no. Um, Brand, Russell Brand. Russell, Russell Brand, Brand. The yes, comedian yes. who was married to. Um, Katy Perry. Katy Perry. Katy Perry and Russell Brand are with us. Cedric the Entertainer and like two other people. I can't remember who it was. And we're all going upstairs. We go upstairs. We get walked over by like 10 security to this table, this big table. Jay-Z is literally standing on the couch. His knee, I can feel his knee coming, you know, as he's moving around, brushing up against my arm. I got, dude, right here. I mean, I have all the dude's albums, you know, and now he's standing right here. I got Cedric the Entertainer to my left. Um, uh, P. Diddy's standing on top of the couch behind me. And they're freestyling on the mic to like a beat that the DJ threw down. And they're both freestyling, you know, over mics. And, I, dude, I just, I mean, 
I don't even know what to say. It's like, I can't believe I'm with Katy Perry and, and this guy and that and Jay. And oh my gosh, dude, I just cannot. It was just a, it's a day, you know, one of those days that you'll never forget. Yeah. So you're actually That's like, crazy. you're having dinner with Jay. Mm-hmm. And then Diddy walks what, by, then you go to a secret room. Like, that is crazy. I mean, Diddy was what like, you guys what, you guys, right what are you talking us. I just didn't notice. Yeah. Yeah, what did you guys talk about? What did you guys talk about? Like, how'd that conversation go? Um, they were, they, you know, there was, there was a few other people there. So we were kind of all talking about like Vegas and they were talking about Tal and then he was talking about how he had to go up and do this thing. I didn't even know that we were going to this, the after party thing. I just thought we were having dinner and he was like, come on. He, you know how he talks like, come on, let's go. I, I do. I can't even do Diddy. Uh, like he has this voice, <laughs> he has this voice, like this soft voice, you know, that kind of just like, yeah. I can't even do it, but you know, like, come yeah, on, you can't come even on, do you're going to go, you know, he just tells me, so he's like, oh, we're all going, so, uh, so, I mean, dude, let's come, and Diddy, I wish I would have got to talk to him more, you know, because he's kind of that business guy, too, that likes to really talk business, Jay's kind of like, mm-hmm. he does business, he probably feels like he's got, he's surrounded by good people, he's obviously got a great brand, but Diddy seems like he can, like, like he would talk a little more specifics, like, oh, like built strategy the business and like everything. This. Yeah, you talk strategy. So I really wanted to talk to him, but uh, dude, it was just uh it was crazy. It was crazy. Hard to believe. One of those nights. And we had a lot what of those nights, man. A lot of those nights. Yeah. What was your mentality going to the dinner knowing that you're gonna be sitting with Jay Z having dinner? You know, I I wish I would have taken a picture. You know, that's one thing I wish I had to do. I didn't even take a photo there. I, I couldn't believe, you know, I wanted to be respectful and be cool. I didn't want to be that guy with the camera breaking out the camera. And now I regret it because mm-hmm. I wish I would have had a picture with him. But, you know, it is what it is. Uh, you know, I, yeah. I, when I went over to Dre, I went over to Dr. Dre's house one time and I, I was like, I'm not making that mistake this time. <laughs> Dude, I'm taking a picture this time. So uh, I got yeah. a picture with Dre, but I didn't get one with Jay. That's fine. Man. Um, so was there any truth to that rumor uh, of, of you of him trying to trying to acquire it? And what what happened that didn't make it fall through? Well, I don't think I mean, he he just said, oh, man, I love the brand. We didn't really ever talk specifics or anything. I don't think it would have been him talking specifics. I was just like when I was talking to the guy who kind of ran that company who owned Jay's brand, too. But they they, they I guess they work really closely. Um he was like, Jay wants to meet you. So I was like, you know, what am I going to say to that? I'd be like, hell yeah, I want to meet him too, you know? So I was like, oh, absolutely. So I was thinking I'm going to have to fly to New York, but I'm cool. I'll, like, I'll jump on a plane to go meet him, you know, if that's what it takes. Because um, I'd have loved to sat down with him, like, just in a nice, quiet place and really had a long conversation. But we just – we didn't have, like – it was kind of more – you know, just a basic conversation. We were talking about. It. He goes, "Oh, I love what you've been doing with the company. Um, you guys being in the UFC has really exploded. You guys, the UFC is really big. He liked the UFC. He liked he liked what um, he liked our branding. He says you guys are everywhere right now. He said you guys are killing it in New York. He named a bunch of places we were in. Um, he knew all about what we were doing. He knew all of our marketing, everything that we had going on." But we really didn't talk specifics about buying or and I I started talking to his business manager again and we kind of just it just didn't really go anywhere. Uh-huh. True, man. But legendary. I still got his phone number in my phone. Legendary, yeah. Le- oh, man. 
man you, you've lived an exciting life dan i gotta tell you that man you've lived like a great from like you are like the american dream right like starting from like the roughest places to becoming to living like the the entrepreneurial dreams every american you know strives to live 100 percent, dude like I, I i wish this for everybody i wish this for everybody i truly do like the times of like those things happen like i I love to hear people's stories when they talk about those moments in their life where, you know, they, they got to meet the person that, that they always wanted to meet. Or, you know, I was just telling a story about how um, I used to listen to Tony Robbins on the way to LA as I was driving back and forth. I couldn't even afford the tapes at first. I would just, I recorded his infomercial and I would listen to it on my, on my bank in my thousand dollar band driving back and forth. And a few years later, um, oh, 10 years later, I put my head down for the next 10 years and built that business. And 10 years later, I saw Tony Robbins at it, at the Four Seasons in Vegas. And I said, oh, man, I got to tell him. I got to tell Tony what he did for me, how he changed my life. So I went up and told him, you know, I said, Tony, do you have a few minutes? And we sat down for like two hours and talked. And he, he gave me his number. I gave him my card. And I thought it was the last time I'd ever talk to him. Well, like two months later, he called me and asked me to be on his infomercial. And wow. with Serena Williams, uh, Donna Karen, and Mark Burnett, I'm going to be on his infomercial. The infomercial I used to watch, you know, as I started my company trying to get inspiration because I had nobody to look up to in San Bernardino. Nobody, no mentors or anybody who talked positive or anything like that. You know, everybody puts you down as a cop kind of there's like this cop humor it's kind of like military humor i don't know if you guys are in the military at all but it, it military humor is kind of weird where you know they kind of like dig at you and tell you oh you're not going to be nothing you're, you're going to fall yeah. flat on your face you know they kind of just nobody talks good to you and so it's kind of the same way so having somebody talk like that on on you know like a tony robbins i really gravitated to his, his what he was talking about but just being able to meet guys like that or you know, just moments that you'll never forget in your life. And you really hope you have somebody to share them with when they happen. And, you know, I, I got to share a lot of those with Charles. Um, we had some incredible moments. I remember we, we, we took a plane up to, um, we rented a private plane for, uh, to fly up to up North for a fight. And, uh, and Mickey Rourke calls us and says, uh, we I can't get a plane, but I heard you guys just took my plane. I was like, "What do you mean?" Because my assistant sent it over to me, and I'm like, "What do you? Hey, Mick, what's up, buddy? I I don't I'd never met him before. I didn't really know him. You know, I just knew him from movies and stuff." And he's like, "You guys took my plane. I'm trying to get up north to Sacramento." I goes, "That's where we're going too." He goes, "Yeah, I know." He goes, "Are you guys going to the fight?" I said, "Yeah, we're going to the fight." He goes, "Can I go to the fight with you guys?" I'm like. I guess sure and so he like jumps in our he like I said hey you can come in our plane if you want he goes that's my plane though you took it <laughs> so I was like okay well we can, we'll all go in our plane you know I'll pay for it yeah. so you know like say I know Mickey works in the plane with us with his little dog you know it's like I mean just moment you know you have all these crazy times where you talk about it and you hope you have somebody to share it with you know that's the important thing mm -hmm. is find somebody to share those moments with because they don't mean a lot by yourself Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a fact. That's a fact. Uh, as work towards wrap, wrapping up, man, um, I just have two questions for you. You know, um, one is walk us through meeting Tupac, and then two, 
for someone that's just starting a t-shirt brand, what advice do you have for them? Well, I'll start with Tupac real quick because that's just a quick story. So at the time, I was a police officer still at the time. And so there's no t-shirt company at all here. This is just straight police officer. And uh, I was just getting off at like 3 in the morning. And I was coming back. out. I was in the high desert in Victorville. That's where I patrolled up there in San Bernardino. And uh, I stopped at an AMPM, and all of a sudden, all these limos pulling. It's like three in the morning, two, three in the morning. I, I got off late because that's what time my shift was. I think it ended. Mm-hmm. At, uh, it must have been around three because it ended at three, and and so um, I probably went straight over there. So it's probably about three thirty or something like that. And all these these like three or four limos pull into this gas station, and um, all these big dudes, big dudes, dude, like big like not kind of big not like really big like big 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 dudes big bodyguard dudes come out and they're all standing around and like uh i can't remember what they're wearing but um they were getting gas and putting gas in the cars and stuff and then i see this limousine open up and dude i'm looking at him i'm like that's tupac what you know like dude i'm in the middle of nowhere like i'm telling you desert i mean like the caddy corner was like dirt you know this is a desert and um and it's an ampm and i'm looking over i'm like that's tupac and he just walked into ampm so i asked one of the security guys i'm like hey is it okay if i say something to tupac because i don't want to like you know have one of these guys i don't care if i i got a gun on me and a badge and i still don't you know like these guys will kill me there's too many Mm -hmm. dudes here you know like i'm 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 like i want to be respectful and everything so I just, uh, he goes, yeah, sure, that's cool. And or he kind of says, yeah, sure, yeah, that's fine. You know, so he kind of just gives me this <laughs> So I go in there, yeah. or as he's coming out, I catch him right at the door. And I'm like, hey, Tupac, hey, my name's Dan Colwell. You know, I'm a, I'm a police officer here, up here in the high desert. I mean, I was, just, I was just wondering what you guys were doing up here. And he goes, oh, we're filming a video down the street in, in the desert. Obviously, the California Love, I think it's a, is the California Love video. Is that the video, right? Is that the video? Legendary. Yes, it is. And yeah, uh, yeah so um, they're, they're in the desert riding the rails, sand rails and stuff. And um, so uh, he was like, we just talked for like five minutes, stand there. He was like, cool. I knew he was in trouble. He's in the news a lot at that time. I don't remember what the situation was, but I just remember him being in the news a lot. And uh, But he was super nice. We had a cool conversation. He was with a couple girls and... We just uh, we stood there and talked for like five minutes, and then um, I was like, "Okay, man, be safe," and he left, and that's the last time I ever saw him. Amazing. Yeah, but that's that was great. like not even the you know no juice. I didn't have no juice at the time. I didn't have nothing. I was still, just, you met a legend, man. Yeah, yeah, and he was cool too. You know, like I thought about it later. You know, he's probably dealing with. You know, you watch some of his speeches, and he didn't. You know, not that he didn't. He was a respectful dude, but he kind of had. You know, he had his way with law enforcement you know they he had some problems with law enforcement so he didn't have the best um uh he probably didn't hold him in the highest regard <laughs> and and so mm-hmm. you know I, I thought about it later i was like he could have been really disrespectful at that moment he was probably going through a lot he was just getting court and all kinds of things and he was super cool he was the nicest dude um i never i i'm never i've always liked his kind of attitude and his you know what he's had to say and um, I respect, I respect his, he's always been super, he was super cool that time. So he's got my respect. Hey, what are you doing nah, Mr. That's, over there? That's not speaks volumes to someone's character, you know, Yeah. point blank period. And then, uh, the awesome, last question man. you said was, uh, 
Um, oh gosh, I feel somebody crawling up my back. My 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 little entrepreneur got my back back there. Um, uh, yeah, for anybody who wants to start, you know, I just I just tell them you got to start. You know, find a good idea, and it's got to be a good mm -hmm. idea. You got to be able to explain why it's a good idea. Like I could tell people why tap out was a good idea because the sport of mixed martial arts was growing. I would tell everybody, man, watch this UFC. I, I could explain right to you. If you watch this UFC, everybody became instant fans as soon as they watched this first. Remember, at that time, nobody had really seen it before. Like if I had shown it to you, it was probably the first time you might have ever seen it. Like at that time, mm -hmm. you know, now it's kind of ubiquitous. Everybody knows what the UFC is. But at that time, if you watched the UFC, it was probably, it, it was probably the first time you'd ever seen the UFC at that time. So when they saw it, they were like, oh my gosh, this stuff's crazy. This is awesome. And so I said, like, if you like something that much, you got to believe that the, there's something that is based around this thing that it's going to make a lot of money. It's going to be big. It's going to get a lot of exposure because people are going to – you know how when you talk about it, like something viral right now? Like if you were talking about mm -hmm. something that you knew was going to be viral, you'd be like, I know this is going to be viral because it's just crazy. Like if you were talking about, oh, yeah, what we're going to do is we're going to jump out of the plane without parachutes and we're going to get our parachutes on the way down. And that you like, you know that video is going to be viral. You don't have to yeah. – if you could tell tell somebody that too. Daniel, buddy, you got to be cool, bud. And you know that video is going to be big. And so it, that's exactly what um, we had. We knew it was going to be big, and you have to know whatever you're going to do is going to be – have something to it. It's got a flavor. It's not what everybody else is doing. Why is it going to be big? It, be able to explain that to somebody. And if you really feel in your heart of hearts – if this is going to be something big, you just got to grab onto it and go get started because there's, there's no, there's no, you know, there's once you, once you get started, you'll know you'll start doing it and putting one foot in front of the other and then just burn your boats and go, you know, you may have to, at some point it may not work out, whatever it is, but that's not failing. Failing is when it doesn't work out and you throw in the towel and you go get your job again. You, you, you fold up into yourself and you never, you know, you never try again. But um, mm. if that weren't to work out as a, as tap out, if tap out didn't work out, maybe we would have got in, maybe we would have been managers in the fight game or something. You know, you're like, okay, we pivoted a little bit and became that and became, you know, mm -hmm. fight managers. So, you know, gotcha. you just figure out what, what's going to make you work. What's, what's going to work for you. And then you just go. Yeah, you never give up. You never turn back. No, no plan B, back. brother. No plan B. 100%. Plan B distracts plan it's, A. Yep. Exactly. Well, if you have a plan and B. Ladies and gentlemen. If you have a plan B, you'll fall back to it. You know, it's like you always know a, a, a caged animal. You know, you've heard that. A caged animal will fight a thousand times harder than, than somebody who just, you know, who has a way they can run away. If you know you can run, you're going to run. Because mm -hmm. that opportunity is there. But if you're up against a wall, I mean, think about it. Like if you knew, if you, well, you, don't, you guys don't have kids, but if somebody was trying to, you know, kill your parents or something, you know, they're, they're, you're going to fight with everything you have in your life to, to defend them. Because you have to, because there's no choice. 
And, uh, you know, so I, I like to think about those things when I'm, when I'm building my companies that I'm going to fight with everything I have in me. I'm going to make it work. Nah, that's real. Man, what a point to end on, man. And with that being said, ladies and gentlemen, the hustle is what you can't control. So control your grind and control your life. I'm Alex. And I'm Owen. And I'm Dan. <laughs> yes, sir. And that's hustle over everything. Peace. Peace out, guys. Thank you so much for listening. The conversation continues on our Instagram at 247Hustler. We post very frequently. And be sure to check out our merch at hustleovereverything.co. We have some amazing sweaters, hats, mugs, and a lot more. Lastly, our Proud to Pay program is linked in the description below. Thank you so much for your support. Talk to you next Monday. Peace.